So I take off my shoes, get on the bar. It's Katy Perry. I'm doing the sprinkler. You know, one dance minimum. You know, I get down, and Uncle Bob says, listen, I took a photo and sent it to Mark. Um, he wants you to call him, right? So I call Mark, and he was like, um, so, Drac, uh, I guess, uh, is there a show there? And I said, yeah, there's a show here. And, you know, uh, survived the initiation and the test. And, you know, what, eight years later, 100-plus episodes, um, you know, getting on the bar to dance was a good thing. Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollack. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it. Where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again and enjoy the show. All right, we are rolling. I have done this in so many different kinds of areas. I've been in closets. I've been in kitchens, <laughs> conference rooms. I've never been in a dedicated podcast studio before, but 44 Blue has it all. And here I am with the founders, owners, husband, wife, you know, everything's of 44 Blue, Rasha and Stephanie Drashkovich. Oh, uh, excited to be here. Thank this you, is Noah. A, this is really cool. Oh, yeah, it's really cool. Yes. I'm so excited to be here with you. So uh, we're here to talk about, ostensibly about Wahlburgers, though I'm sure that this show will take some twists and turns outside of just, you know, the hamburger topic that we're beginning on. But let's start this show with, with Wahlburgers, with the light bulb, as we start every show. Rasha, I know that this is one that came more from you know your side of the fence at the company than from Stephanie's. But what what was the original sort of impetus? You know, the original spark for this idea. Well, the original spark came from Stephanie, and I let her tell you how. You know, Stephanie's an amazing research story finder. Reads everything possible, articles that even haven't been written. If you know <laughs> what I mean. And there was one day where she came into the office after. Finding this article, so you want to... Well, actually, okay, okay, well, thank you. You're I welcome. really appreciate no that. No problem. Um, my little slice of Wahlburgers. Um, so, yes, yeah, so what happened was I was actually multitasking. We were in our old offices at 4040 Vineland. Um, I was on the phone talking to somebody, and while I was talking to them, I was trying to find um, uh, a celebrity for Corey, uh, the, ho the main character of House of Consignment. We were doing a New York episode, and we needed a celebrity closet for her to go into <laughs> Because every episode, as you know, you were you were on that show. I was not were, on the show, no, but I was you at, were at the network. So you yes. remember, like every episode had a closet. So she yes. was. We were going to New York, and we needed like a closet. So I'm like talking to somebody. I'm researching celebrities who are in New York. Right? It's like who's in New York? Who's on the who was on the late night shows this week? Who might be there? And when I was doing that, I saw an interview with Mark um, talking about his brother Paul and saying that really the more talented brother is my brother Paul and he just opened this restaurant. He has this you know, Italian restaurant in Boston. He's a classically trained chef, but his dream was always to have a hamburger restaurant and he finally was, finally was going to be opening it and it was going to be called Wahlburgers. So when I heard that, um, it didn't help us for House of Consignment, but I remember thinking they must have a sense of humor about themselves because they're calling the restaurant Wahlburgers. And so um, we instantly, actually while we were on that call, while I was on that call, just texted or emailed uh, WME to find out like 
who happens to rep Mark Wahlberg? Like, because we didn't know. And it turned out it was them. And so that's when, and then Amir said, well, why do you want to know? And we said, well, they're launching this restaurant apparently, and do you think they'd ever want to do a docu-series? And Amir is like, well, let me go find out. And he walked down the hall, and as he tells the story. So he tells the story. You know, he walked into Ari and um, mentioned the 44 Blues, interested in doing a, a show with Mark on Wahlburgers. And Ari called Mark to see if he'd be interested. And Mark says, well, what kind of shows do they do? And he said, well, they do lockup. <laughs> and uh, he goes, I love lockup. You know, uh, let's meet. So. And that was on a Thursday. On a Thursday. And the meeting was on. It was Monday. like it was like Monday, and yeah. I end up uh, going to the Polo Lounge to meet Mark and his uh, producing partner Steve Levinson, and so it was really uh, kind of exciting. You know, uh, Mark was a bit skeptical, kind of. You know, I'm sure people are saying you're a big blockbuster movie star. Why are you going to do a reality show? But um, and he asked that question, and I was just really kind of said, "Well, look, you know, nine kids, dirt poor, growing up in the tough streets of Dorchester, against." all odds to have such success in films and movies and, and um, you know, uh, television. And now the family's going to move into the restaurant business. I mean, it's a great American story. So he kind of, you know, looked over and Steve and they're kind of, okay, this could be interesting. He goes, you got to meet the family. You got to meet the entourage. When can you go? I said, I can go tomorrow. He goes, all right. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, like the yeah, next day. Yeah, it was literally, like, yeah. literally on a plane. And it was, um, you know, my big crazy Boston adventure. I was met at the airport by the real life entourage, you know, real life Johnny Drama, uh, Johnny Elves, uh, and, and Uncle Bob and, 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 and Billy and all these guys. And they're like, hey, what's your name again? We can't pronounce your name. You know, like Drasha <laughs> Dramakanovich. And I go, they go, well, we're going to call you Drac. You know, all right, Drac, we're going to go, you're going to meet everybody. So. In this car, we go over to Almanova, the Italian restaurant, and it's a scene like out of Cheers. You know, the doors open, and I want to say, like, Johnny Drama is like, um, hey, everybody, this is Drac, the, the guy that Mark sent. He thinks there's a reality show here, you know? And so I was like, hey, Drac, get over here, you know? It, we, they line up all these limoncello shots, right? <laughs> and uh, Paul Wahlberg happens to walk by wearing a chef's suit, and he turns to me, and I'll, I'll pardon my French here. He goes, listen, um, I don't want to do this TV crap. Okay, that's Mark and Donnie. I'm a chef. And he walks by. You know, I was like, okay, this is going well, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. And um, so everybody starts coming up and going, you know, uh, I think I would make a great show. I think I would make a great show. And so it kind of ended in it, this bizarre world, you know, I uh, met Alma as well, the mom who was just charming and Mark predicted she would become the star because she really is um, just mm -hmm. a fantastic television character. But uh, where the story gets embarrassing, if it isn't already, is, um, you know, at the end of the night, they're playing a lot of music. Um, this uh, one lady gets up on the bar and she starts to dance, right? And Uncle Bob, one of the entourage guys sitting next to me, goes, so Drac, you know, the Wahlbergs have a tradition. The new guy has to get on the bar to dance. And I was like, Uncle Bob, you have to understand, I'm here on a business trip, you know, um, you know, professional and all the rest. He goes, no, you understand, that's a, that's the rule with the Wahlbergs, the new guy has to get in the bar. So it was that cross point of like humility, and I decide, what the heck, humiliation. <laughs> 
take off my shoes, get on the bar. It's Katy Perry. I'm doing the sprinkler. You know, one dance minimum. You know, I get down, and Uncle Bob says, listen, two things. First thing is, there is no tradition. You're the first son of a gun who's ever done that. <laughs> and two, I took a photo and sent it to Mark. Um, he wants you to call him, right? So I call Mark, and he was like, um, so Drac, uh, I guess, uh, is there a show there? And I said, yeah, there's a show here. And, you know, uh, survived the initiation and the test. And, you know, what, eight years later, 100-plus episodes, um, you know, getting on the bar to dance was a good thing. Yeah, 2011. Wow. Yeah. I can't even believe it was eight years ago. Crazy. That's crazy. How many of those limoncello shots did you drink? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Enough to get him up on the bar, apparently. I was going to say, somehow it was, I wasn't a professional here on a business meeting when uh, you know, all those shots got lined up. Hey, hey yeah, sometimes yeah. as a producer, you got to do it, you know. <laughs> Like I said, someone asked me, what do, you, what do you do as a producer? I said, well, look, you know, I've been mugged in Moscow. I've been, you know, detained in a Chinese prison, you know, uh, shot at in Soweto. And now I've danced in a bar, you know, in Boston. So that's, that's what producers do. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, Crazy. okay, so Thursday you read the article. Right. The next Thursday your husband's making. Literally a week later he was dancing on a bar in Boston. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a, a regular week for us. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, but it's true. It, it moved really, really swiftly. And um, and Mark's just, Mark was a smart business person. He saw the potential to create something and to do something with his family. He's such a big family man. And I think he really saw the positives yeah. that could come from it. And and that it wouldn't be done in a... Yeah, I mean, the first thing is he wanted to make sure that the production of the show would put everybody in a positive light. Right. He didn't do a crazy wine-throwing, yeah. hair-pulling show. He wanted this to really reflect. And once you got to know the family, and then, you know, Donnie got into the mix of it as well. And Donnie is one of the most entertaining, you know, funniest guys around. It just, the, the show just kind of um, laid out, you know, Mark is the dreamer. Donnie's the, adding the humor, Paul's the blue collar, and the, Alma's the matriarch. So it, it, for, for production or for producers, we couldn't have asked for better characters. And then you had all the other members that are surrounding them. But when we went out to pitch it, it was really an interesting time because there's a lot of celebrity-driven, non-scripted shows that are pitched. And the first question every executive asks the celebrity is, are you going to be in this or are you going to just you know, put your name on it? Because they've they've had examples where the talent, you know, I'll, I'll be at the rap party, you know, I'll see you later. And Mark was very clear up front, you know, we're in this. We're You're going to see how we're launching this restaurant. You know, you're going to see every decision we make as a family. And, um, you know, he, he was passionate about, like, this is a um, project that he really wanted to be, you know, fully 100% involved in. And we had you know, some stops and starts with this because some networks just didn't, didn't you know, believe it. And it wasn't until we got to A&E, um, Lily Newmeyer and Devin Graham mm -hmm. uh, saw something in this. We, we did a kind of a proof of concept tape, and then they said, listen, we want less about the business. We want a little bit more on the family. Well, that proof of, first proof of concept, that was for history, yeah. remember? And history had wanted less family and more business, business. and there was a great family dinner scene that had come out of the presentation right for them. Yeah. And Lily and Devin. There's a great yeah. scene where Mark's the dreamer, wants to open up a hundred restaurants. You know, Paul's like, you know, smushing his, uh, you know, cap. He just nervous is and, very nervous. Yeah. And Alma sure. says, you know, this is where we're from. This is who we are. This is what we're from. And basically spoke as the mom, 
Mark became kind of, he even says this in the show, he became kind of a teen sitting at dinner, you know, sitting um, for dinner again. And they ended up opening up um, the restaurant, you know, in, in Hingham, which is their um, location, uh, the first location. And that's when A&E really saw the, the, the family dynamic, mm-hmm. that this is more than just um, the red carpets and Mark's going to show up yeah. at a, a million premieres and Donnie's going to do New Kids in the Block. They really saw that there's a deeper level to the show. And, a great, and that great American family. Again. And the great American family really, really cut through. So um, it was, it was, it was really, and uh, the other interesting thing at the time, you know, Duck Dynasty Duck. was still yeah. really a smash hit series mm-hmm. uh, for Amy. And everything Amy tried to program after it, it was kind of like an island. Every other show they put after that just couldn't get anywhere near the numbers. So those shows would fail. And here comes this first family of Boston had a lot of the same sort of elements, you know, funny, you know, grounded, uh, there was heart and humor. And, um, you know, certainly it helped to have Mark and Donnie promoted as well, which was great because they went on all the shows. But that first week um, when we premiered, um, I want to say we premiered to like a 4.4 rating, which today <laughs> doesn't exist mm-hmm. anywhere. Uh, it was it was huge. And um, then as the Ducks uh, passed the baton, Amy had Wednesday family comedy uh, blocks as the ducks um, passed uh, you know the show ended up um, coming to an end Wahlbergers Wahlbergers became part of that and then from that show we spun off Donnie Loves Jenny which was the Donnie and Jenny McCarthy series and so um, it, it was it was a great great run there of you know being being part of the Wahlberg family yeah it's been awesome what, a really amazing family I mean it's so interesting that you leaned into the family side, which is what mm-hmm. the goal of this show, but you know, because you think the celebrity side yeah. would have been the appeal to a lot of places. Did yeah. you even take it to those places, or no? We it was never. Always we never pitched that angle. No, we never did. I mean, it was kind of like I mean, uh, you get part of that in the show. But yeah, it was never the focus. Neil Neil Cohen, who used to work at A and E's agent now, uh, really smart guy, called it the mere mortals factor. Like if you can find celebrities who open themselves up and really show you you know, not the E.T. side, you know, with the, the responses to promote movies, but the side that really get you get to know them, where we had one scene with Paul and Mark, you know, they were really at uh, fighting back and forth about the business and where they should take it. And, you know, Paul says to Mark, you know, well, it's easy for you. You're Mark Wahlberg. You just go out there and show up and the world loves you. And, he, and Mark really opened up and said, you know, sometimes I wish I was, you know, Harry Wahlberg, you yeah, know. It's not always easy. And that was the season. Yeah. Yeah, that was that yeah. was that yeah. was really powerful stuff. So, the fact that they pulled back the curtain and could show us, um, and I, and I think as a family, the show brought them together because uh, they're so busy and you know Mark's schedule and Donnie's schedule and Paul and everybody. There, there, we had so many great episodes. We call it the unicorn moments where the brothers would get together for an event and a family dinner, and they'd be, you know, sitting in there with Alma, and it was just. Um, you know, you kind of go back to Dorchester, the roots of who they are, and it, it just worked really well. And I think that was the has been the universality of it, is that people watch it and they see their, their themselves in it. They see their families. They either see like, oh yeah, I live across the country from my family, so I get what it's like when we're all together for an event. Or Alma's just like my mom. You know, my, mo- my mom calls me up in the middle of a business meeting and has no, you know, and it has no idea. 
Um, that, you know, he's just like my brothers. So there's a real universality. You can watch it, I think, and see yourself in it or your family in it or the family you wish you had, you know, if your family's not exactly like that. So I think that's what's been a lot of the, um, a lot of the um, kind of X factor of it. Because when you asked about like the Hollywood thing, I think we, we saw the Hollywood, you know, you could see that on ET, like Rasha said, you could see Mark on a red carpet or Donnie on a red carpet. So this was really getting to see them in a way that we could all relate. What's also incredible is how little convincing you had to do. Obviously, you had to go to the bar and get drunk and dance a little bit, but that's fun buzzed, convincing. Buzzed, buzzed. I wasn't right. drunk. Buzzed. But that's more. That's more just them, you know, kind of yeah. testing poking, you out. Poking, I yeah. think so often producers and agents and everyone in networks, you have to oh get them to do this, get them to yeah. do that, or you have to sell yourself yeah. in some specific way. The two of you were just you, and it sounds like actually you mentioned earlier. Paul was the one who maybe took the most convincing. Well, it's funny. Yeah, Paul it's went funny. from I don't want to do that show to now pitching storylines, okay? <laughs> <laughs> of course, Paul gets the brunt of it. I mean, yeah. you know, we've, we've dressed him in kilts, and he's been an F-16 and, and ziplining in Costa Rica. He's kind of the guy that the brothers, you know, poke at a little bit to get him out of the comfort zone. And it, and it's it's good-natured comedy, which really works. But... You know, what, what it, the, the fantasy part of the show is it's kind of crazy. You know, Mark calls one day and says, hey, let's get a camera crew together. Follow me to Philadelphia. I'm opening for the Pope, right? As and in the Pope. The Pope. <laughs> and it was the Festival of the Families. It's Philadelphia. Next thing you know, we're in a plane and Mark's, you know, the MC. And it's, you know, the center where Rocky runs up the steps. There's 550,000 people. And I'm sitting, like, literally, you know, three seats over, you know, the Pope is like from me to you, and Mark's doing the introductions and so on, and we're filming Wahlburgers. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the scope of where the show would go, but it became, you know, part of an episode that talked about his faith, and, um, you know, so it it had pleasant surprises. It wasn't classic reality television, you know, where you get to like, well, he doesn't like her, or she doesn't want to do that. We really... We're able to do some very interesting things that yeah. maybe some other and shows I, couldn't. And also, I think the family, Mark and Donnie and Alma and Paul, have been so generous with their time and with sharing their stories. Yeah. They're super generous um, about letting people into their f- family life and what they are excited about and what they believe in. Because, again, I think that inspires people to see that, you know. Um, you, you know, simple things like family barbecues, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, so it's been very, it's it's very it's a very meaningful experience. Well, they also identified a company that is a family, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, has that <laughs> did that come up at all? I mean, do you even recognize that when uh, you know that is a that. unique yeah. piece of like the sort of the special yeah. sauce? Because yes, I'm looking at a lockup poster here. That's an incredible show, and yeah. it's a great calling card. But for a show that's a family comedy, yeah. Yeah. you know, I guess all it speaks to is that you make really authentic television. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe he was reacting to yeah. that. Or he yeah, just well, because that's what got him to do the meeting, the yeah. first meeting, he said. Yeah. Yeah, you know, po- possibly. You know, it, it's... Um, you know, it's a... It's a you, we had to protect the world, right? Because, um, you know, i never forget when we did... Uh, we were filming uh, Donnie and Jenny's wedding. You know, you could imagine everybody wanted to be there all the paparazzis and everybody else and we were just so protective of how we were going to capture this delicate wedding you know it was really amazing it was the premiere episode of donnie loves jenny and i think the appreciation for how we handle the material and how we you know give them you know kind of privacy in a very public world went a long way Mm -hmm. the trust level of kind of not only protecting the family brand 
but also the the restaurant, which, you know, we were there October, I want to say 11, 2011, for the grand opening of the Hingham restaurant. And today, it's the fastest growing burger chain in America. And a lot of that has to do with the show, because Wednesday nights, this is where Steph was talking about Mark being uh, really um, savvy and kind of visionary businessman, he saw this show. While it has, does have that, you know, we had to make sure it was entertaining, it also put the brand out there for millions and millions of viewers who then would be inspired to either go to Hingham or now, I mean, there's locations in Florida, yeah, in you, the Midwest. You buy the burgers and, in your freezer case. Yeah. I just brought home the sliders the other night. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of when we're talking about brand marketing and so on, it was like calling a show Starbucks, right? It was literally spot on the brand. And so you got to see how much care Paul takes into cooking the ingredients. You got to see how they marketed it and how they were careful where they decided to grow. And they also showed us on occasion where things didn't go well, which was the honesty part, which where viewers really grabbed onto, like this isn't just um, you know polished and cleaned up for television. Like they were open to the fact that they had to shut down one restaurant because maybe things didn't work out so they could fix it, you know? And that type of stuff uh, for a brand is gold. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it made the cover of um, Adweek. So Adweek um, uh, put Mark on the cover and talked about the impact that the show has had, um, again, on television as well as building a brand. So it's been a really neat experience. This, this so. is how crazy it got, and this is kind of um, life art imitating whatever that term is, right? We're on the set of Transformers with Michael Bay, and it's uh, Mark's in a scene with Bumblebee, you know, the, the robot car. And Mark's wearing a Wahlburgers hat, okay? And they say, cut, you know, and Michael Bay comes in and he says, Mark, you can't wear a Wahlburgers hat in Transformers, you know? And Mark's like, why not? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a character. Like, he was, yeah, but you're Mark Wahlberg <laughs> and you're playing the character in this film. I mean, and Michael Bay played along with us and we did this really neat um, sequence with him about possibly opening up his own franchise. But the idea of like crossing into right. a blockbuster yeah, film like with the Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe was, somebody it, else could have worn the Wahlberg. Yeah, it was, very, right? yeah. It's a, it's a really fun moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I mean, and I think this show more than any other really on television it is a commercial for mm -hmm. something larger. And I mm -hmm. think as so many networks are mm -hmm. figuring out kind of what the next generation of television looks like mm -hmm. and, you know, selling commercial time against it used mm -hmm. to be enough and now it's not enough. And mm -hmm. now you can have shows that are a commercial mm -hmm. or something else, but the networks also mm -hmm. oftentimes want a piece of those businesses. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's you've, you've sort of tapped into a world mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, for better or for worse, mm -hmm. he here we are. I mean, do you think that this show today mm -hmm. sells first off without famous brothers mm -hmm. you know would it have been enough oh, without the brothers right no, even in the it, world of duck dynasty no because it's mm. no because i think at least i don't know this is my opinion yeah. um i think the the special sauce was getting to peek in into this fa a great american family that happened to have two celebrities that are like world famous so i i think if it was just like like the jones family Right, no. nine crazy Bostonians. No, because yeah. Duck had also set the bar so high at that point. I mean, you you were an exec at that time. You remember, like, Family Docu was everything. Right. Well, then it's like peak Family Docu time when we're all just like, we've seen a million Family Docus, so now they have to be so extreme, right? How do you cut through? Mm -hmm. You're the one who told me, like, 
The character, the character, oh, and I quote you all the time. Uh -oh. This character <laughs> has to be so good stuff that you would watch them do anything, even if it was just pouring coffee at Starbucks. You told me that, and I now use that with our team. Do you remember that? But do you remember? <laughs> I think I might have said the driving test yeah. is the one I used to talk about. What's a the lot. driving test? Well, you know, you've seen the drive. Well, I'll take credit for that too. Okay, but <laughs> yeah. The, and who pours their own coffee at Starbucks, right? Well, they pour it for you. Yeah. Well, that, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, we've seen the driving chest in so many episodes. Mm -hmm. of, like, you take the 16-year-old out. Oh, and right, da -da -da. Right. It's like, sometimes it's super interesting. Yeah. Sometimes it's total dud. Oh. It's fun teaching your oh, teaching. teenager oh, okay, that's a good to one do too. that. Yeah. I'm going to start right. using that one then. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. You taught three people how to <laughs> drive, right? <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah. Well, we think they know how to drive. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, right. I think it was at the time when Family Docu was like, Okay, yeah, next. We've seen it. We've seen it. Sure. Oh, you know, here's the family and the you know, business. So to me, Wahlburgers was a mo or has been a moment in time in terms of when it launched. It was a moment in time. We'd never seen a family like that on television before. And so I don't think it would have worked if it was just a civilian family at all. I mean, right. now to, to launch it, if we were launching today, I actually think it could cut through today because if it hadn't been done and we were launching it today, I think it would cut through, right? Because for the same reason. Um, but anyway, I think it's been. It's. But yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to? No, I was say. I mean, so many other celebrities have followed suit, well, right? And, but they well, they don't really want to get. Yeah, you. Ha yeah, you have to want to do it, and Mark and Donnie are there. No, they're amazing. They're, genuine. they're in every episode. Yeah. They're engaged, not just you know peripherally, but you know in in really sophisticated scene work, yeah. you know? So because of the success of Wahlburgers, you can imagine how many celebs reached out because with success, yeah. you, know, right. you know, trying to copy it. Uh, and that's the first question we'd always say to the agents or the managers or even to the talent themselves. Like, are you really going to be in this? I mean, yeah. you're opening up a, a you know, um, a, a, I don't know, a bar or, or a, a bed and breakfast or, you know, I mean, you're a big star, but are you going to be there for, you know, season seven? Right. Because that's what it takes. Right. And that usually starts to kind of deflate well, things. Yeah. Yes. And then the other question that we always ask, whether it's civilian or celebrity, but since we're talking celebrities is, would you be doing this if cameras weren't going to be there? We ha we've had a lot of celebrities yeah. come to us saying like, oh, I want to do whatever. And then when we say, okay, well, are you doing it with or without us? Like, when are you doing it? You know, and so regardless of whether there's cameras or, and you find out sometimes, oh, well, I'm only going to do it if there's a show. Right. Uh, you know, because, because I want the network to help pay for something or whatever, or I only want, well, that's not as real. Well, it goes back to the, you didn't have to do very much convincing here. Yeah, no. it's like they were the really best. launching no. a restaurant, and yeah. this was really Paul's dream, and Mark was really involved, and Donnie was really this involved. This accelerated and, you know, it, it really, tremendously yeah. because, again, uh, when they're discussing about expansion, I mean, in Asia, in Europe, at, at, at college campuses, I mean, there's one at, at USC, there's talks to set up at every military base, you know. It's the idea of having this brand that's on the air that gives people an immediate, you know, view. It's almost like the best sales tapes possible, you know. It's, uh, it's but it, yeah, but it was real. It wasn't just like I want to be on television. Yeah, yeah. You have to figure out too. Sometimes the best ones are folks who don't have any intent to be on TV. Those are, I think, our favorite to find. I kind of don't want you to want to be on TV because then that means you're really doing what you're doing and you're really in love with it and passionate about it. And maybe we do have to convince you to do it. But I think I'd rather have that than, but oh, I want to be on TV. There are not a lot of those, though. No. Well, I mean, there's, well, it's like that so many people just want to be on TV, but it doesn't mean they should be. 
it doesn't mean that your story is that interesting. Yeah. Um, if you're doing it just to be on television, but if you if you are following your passion, and whatever it is that you know this path that you're on because you love it so much, then that you know is at least the beginning of making it interesting television. If I can convince you to do it, so um, anyway. Is yeah. this is this the dinner table conversation? Um, <laughs> it can be. Yes, <laughs> we've had uh, quite a few discussions about well, all our shows, but you know, it does. Yeah. Carry on to yeah, the dinner, but we yes. try not to talk about it every night at dinner. <laughs> we try hard, to do it it's all. It's hard here. not to. We try to do it here. Yes. Luckily, we have enough shows going on that we don't get sick of the shows. Yeah. yeah well, what do you talk more about at dinner? Your kids or your uh, or, or your shows? Because <laughs> our kids. shows are like our children. <laughs> right. Like we say, yeah, we right. love all of our children, but sometimes we love some more than others. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, both. How, I mean but both. Right, you're such a successful company. You're oh, married. Thank you. Well, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Both are incredibly hard to run a successful mm -hmm. company and to run a successful marriage. Uh, where do you draw your lines? How do you, I mean, not that this is a therapy session, yeah. but I think, yeah. you know, so many people start think about cracking you know, yeah. exactly. Please, by he's all opening, means. He's opening the tequila right now. <laughs> I mean, walk me back to the moment you guys decided to to do this business together. And I mean, that's a real Well, we started, we started in 1984, so a while ago. Actually, June? Uh, July. July. July of 1984. But you want to know something? Hmm. Did we, okay. Remember the Kailin, Kailin Fu uh, CBS? Um, remember in the spare bedroom in Studio City, in the house that we rented from the Bhagwan people? Don't remember. Yes, you do. <laughs> I don't remember. But Gosh, Goodland Avenue. I do remember the house, but where are you going with it? That's where we did we did um, uh, we did video press kits for CBS. Right. Remember? Yes, I did. And I did the Atlanta Child Murders. Yes. And yes. I did that other one with Judd Hirsch. Yes. I flew up to Vancouver. Were we 44 yes. Blue at that point? We were. I think we were. We, we started the company based on a show called Bob Uecker's Wacky yeah. World of Sports. And it was my, to see my story. No, no, That's but okay. but I mean, we want to start at the beginning. You know, that was really the first show. Uh, my old boss, um, Burl Rotfeld, ran a series called Greatest Sports Legends, and one of the episodes was Bob Euchre. And when I moved out, um, Steph had come out early uh, to, LA. to LA. Yeah, I'd been collecting. I've been working at KBC for a, a show called I in LA, still on today. It had Eric Schatz was there and. Craig, um, Hafner. Craig Hafner and you know a lot Jack of Anderson. so um, I'd been collecting bloopers and somehow it came together and it was like hey we got a show here Bob Uecker could host it we got these bloopers we Burl said I'll, I'll fund it and we put it on the air as a one hour in syndication and it did really well and he said you know let's do a bunch more of these so that's when we had to come up with a company and so at the time we were coming up with all these names and 44 Blue came out. Um, basically, it's a good luck football play, and we thought, well, let's just let's just call it 44 Your Blue. Your favorite number and my favorite color. Right, and that's what we called it at the time, thinking this will be you know a short term gig, and I'll go back to INLA. And Steph was an exec at the time, and it stuck. And they kept saying, can you order more? Can you order more? And we've had a show on the air every year since 1984. So this was an accidental business. There wasn't a proposal, Stephanie, will you marry me? Stephanie, will you work with me? You this know, is before kind of we even got married. Oh, you were just dating. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We had, we had met in Philadelphia. Yes. And then I moved out here to work for Original Telepictures out of the Galleria. Um, and then Rasha was at KBC. 
And so we were living together, but I yeah. don't think you'd proposed yet. Not yet. And we decided to start a business together, which is kind of crazy, right? When you think about that. And I was um, in charge of the business cards. So I went on Ventura Boulevard. I got, uh, that was my first executive creative decision. I went and I still have it today. The ugliest business card you've ever seen. It's something like a flower shop would, would order. You know, it was just, you couldn't even read it. because The four was like in Cyrillic. And anyway, I uh, showed it to Steph and she's like, okay, from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be in charge of that stuff. <laughs> but that's when we started it. We didn't really know what we were doing. And, um, you know, kinda, yeah. we just decided to keep rolling it. And then we moved to the Bay Area and uh, got married up there and uh, started yeah, to expand. Yeah, we got married in 85, so a year later. A year later. We, we yeah. started to expand from, from that show to the History College Football, the History College Basketball and Syndication. And then we moved to a new network uh, cable just appeared on the horizon it was called the discovery channel maybe we've all heard of it and um, an executive there came through town and said hey uh, uh, Chuck Gingold uh, came through town and says I need original programming you know what do you guys have it was all acquisition up until then it was this it was all the nature programs 89, uh, 89. Yeah. and so we pitched him a show called discovery sport and the unique sports of the world. So why is sumo Japanese and hurling Irish and so on? So you basically took us doing sports and then being Discovery, and we just married the two and went, Discovery Sport. <laughs> and the budget, it was 13 episodes, uh, and your producers who may be listening will appreciate this. The cost per episode was $30,000 an episode. So 390000 total, all in, okay, uh, half hours. And it was sports of the world. So in 40 days, we flew to, I want to say, like 18, 19 countries, a crew of five, and included editing, travel, the whole thing. And we, you know, ended up producing for Discovery for about five, six years yeah. doing that. So so whenever whenever Discovery cites the master agreement or whatever yeah. they call it, they're like, well, you know, your master agreement says you only get whatever. We always go, no, 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 our master agreement in 1989 says we get 50-50 back end. <laughs> and then they go, okay, not that one. That one doesn't count. <laughs> They've never done a co we were, were the like, first co-pro. We're like, we were the first ones. Rex yeah. Recca was the business Crazy. affairs guy. He said, like, well, how do you want to do a deal? And it's like, I don't know, you guys pay for it, we'll produce it, let's split it 50-50. It's like, all right. So that... Uh, <laughs> That's you know yeah. kind of historic. You I'm know? sure. Yeah, the business of these deals has oh. uh, changed a little, a little, right? Dramatically. Yeah. But how do you, as a you know, as a independent? Well, I guess you're not independent. You've sold now. Yeah. But how do you stay one step ahead of that, right? Or you basically these terms just get dictated and you kind of have well, to react. Well, you just. Well, I mean, back then, I mean, we just. I mean, we we were up in the Bay Area. We're luckily the cable industry. Also, I never really thought of it this way, but the cable industry, the birth of it kind of allowed us to have a company in the Bay Area because I'm trying to, oh, we moved up there for Cron. Mm -hmm. Right, so we have been in LA, we started the company here, and then I got offered a job at the NBC affiliate up there, and Rasha's from Palo Alto. And we had, you know, we were in LA in the mid 80s, you know, like 84, 85, and we were like, yeah, we'd much rather be in the Bay Area, it's so much cooler. So we used my job offer to get us up there. And so now, you know, I was going to, we were in Sausalito and I was taking the bus in across the Golden Gate Bridge every morning and going to downtown San Francisco. And Rasha was running the company, then in, in Sausalito. And then we moved um, to Presidio Heights and then we moved to Redwood City. But when you think about it, 
it's like we really should have been here. So we were trying to, to make television out of San Francisco, which wasn't, uh, you know, did not have much of any national production at the time. But cable, I think, allowed yeah. us to do that because Discovery didn't care where we were. Whereas I think if we were trying to produce pre-basic cable and we were trying to produce for NBC or CBS or whatever daytime, they would have been like, yeah, right. So right. it really, I think, gave us, or. yeah, exactly. Yep. We would have had to be here sooner. So we came back in 90. As, as we, you know, kind of progress through yeah. time, you know, we get a little nostalgic. And I came across some old boxes, right? And it was in the age of fax machines, right? Which kind of is just kind of crazy <laughs> to think like that was our life, you know? And I came across this fax from uh, an executive who said, listen, I want to introduce you to a brand new cable network. It's called the History Channel, right? And he goes, we're... I love this is sent to you over a fax. Over a fax, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, it was an <laughs> invitation. faxing back and forth. Faxing back That's and forth. That's what we used to do. And it was yeah. just like, I want to frame it. Because at the time, it's like, we're looking for programming. Yeah. And we're encouraging producers to bring us, yeah. you know... Do you remember who it was? Was it Cassio? Um, it might have been Michael Cassio. But it, it, was, uh, yeah. it was just... Uh, you know, almost like television history. Because yeah. at the time, before cable, and we, we can say back in the day, because we were very young when we started. Yeah, very young. Right? <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it was an elementary school project, yes, yeah. I say. There were we three were networks. Up. There was syndication and, you know, maybe PBS, you know, yeah. uh, up in the Bay Area was KQED. That was it. And so when cable came across, and it's like, oh, my God, these slices of interest. You know, there's discovery yeah. with the animals and history yeah. with nature. And, you know, all this kind of um, material, it, it was a boom for us because now we could literally open the doors to our ideas. Yeah. So it, it was, yeah. you know. Yeah. And a boom, I think, for the talent as well, right? Because you think about, sort of bring it back to you yeah. know, the Wahlbergs mm -hmm. here, right? Yeah. A generation ago, oh. you're doing Transformers. Yeah. You're not doing television at all, no. right. let alone no. reality cable it's, television. No, right. exactly. And now the no Will Smith and yeah. you know The Rock and it's yeah. amazing. people are everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. if they're not everywhere, they're forgotten about. Yeah, right. yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, the lines are so blurred now. It's like it's just about making, telling great stories. And it kind of doesn't matter what platform it's on, I don't think. Um, but yeah, it really, um, it was really, um, uh, I, I don't know, things just happen at, at the time because of the times, you know? I think so. you, you adapt. That's what we had to do. Yeah. And we decided, tried to. you know, a mistake we made early on uh, was when we were at Discovery, we put all our eggs in that one basket. Yeah. We were just, we were done. We were happy. It was like, we're prime time, multiple series. This is great. And what happens in our industry is you can imagine new executives change, trends change, ratings change. So a new group comes in. And they say, okay, 44 blue, thank you. We're going to go work with 33 green now, you know. And it literally, it was literally that. And when I, you know, I was scrambling at the time because mm -hmm. Steph was at the studios. Mm -hmm. I had to go over to A&E and go, hey, uh, you know, want to buy want to buy a show? Yeah. And they're like, well, you're the discovery guy, you know. And I had a really, yeah. it was an important lesson, himself. which is if you're yeah. a good producer, you can produce for everybody. Yeah. And you just have to realize that these, you know, Networks will change, the executives will change, and you just have to really adapt to. And the you can't put your eggs in one basket. You I can't. still remember you coming home because I was an exec, and you know it would be like Sarasha, like, "Did you sell anything today?" Yeah. <laughs> and you'd be like, "Okay, well, here's what happened," you know. So he was like having to reinvent Forty Four Blue, which was known as a quote discovery company at the time, and 
convince these new emerging uh, cable networks that we could produce for them. And the good news is that he did it, you know, and so he like... No, I remember going to the original, yeah. the first real screens, which are really for Canadian doc people, <laughs> and I couldn't afford the entry fee because, you know, we were... You know, tight on budget. Oh, oh God! They were like, <laughs> yeah. they could they, afford it better than we could throw, at the time. <laughs> and what I would do is I would hang at the bar outside of the entryway, <laughs> waiting for network execs to leave and go, "Hey, psst, come over here!" <laughs> like, and that's how we establish relationships at, at the. And network. also, it all goes back to the bar for you. It, it, is, is, it always goes back to the bar, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but also in in that era, this is like it's, it's so weird to like think of this era. I haven't thought of it in a long time. But, like, Rasha had, I mean, we launched the show, or we launched the company on a three-quarter inch editing machine right. um, that my parents helped us get, right. you know, as like, okay, we're going to help you. Like, that was like their, like, instead of a house, you know, it's like, here's like a little machine, you know, like, we'll help you get this. It paid off. But it we did. did, and when you think about it, Rasha was an editor, so he started out as a film editor. And so he could, he could shoot and edit and write and direct. So those early shows, he did all that. So literally, he go out in the field and then come back and like be sitting there and our you know with a we've got pictures of him with like a kid on a, on his knee you know and like the the nanny or the sitter would come over with the boys and Rosh would be editing with one hand and so that's what allowed us I think to really yeah it, survive during some of those years when we only had one show on the air let's say when you know we always had one show on the air but sometimes it was only yeah. one show yeah and what happens yeah. is because we were lean and mean we couldn't really develop as much yeah. you know and it wasn't really till you know Steph uh, was how many years is like 13 I came back in 2003 so how many years since I've been back yeah right? yeah I've been back yeah that's 15 years, almost 16 So years. It, 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 the, the company yeah. really took off then because I had okay. such a, um eye on the, each show, like every frame, you know, dealing with the network and so on. We didn't really have a robust development department. And, you know, you're as good as your last show. So a lot of times it's like, oh, we're done now. What's next? You know, that kind of thing. Very reactive, is proactive. So when Steph came back, it was like all of a sudden, you know, the, the superpower of, okay, we got to start thinking, you know, globally, syndication, all over the place. And it really uh, propelled us, you know, from being kind of, you know, a successful cable producer to the next level, which, you know. So everyone knows she's blushing. (laughs) It's true. It's like, you know, I used to pay, you know, this is where we had a- Kept the company going. No, but I I also paid the bills. I had a check, (laughs) but the checks were like right below my desk. So people would come in to go like, you know, hey, you know, uh, the plant service guy needs a check. I was like, okay, hold on. I would like literally <laughs> take the check and add it out. It was kind of, you know. He's failed that he did everything. Yeah. That's crazy. It's kind of crazy. It's crazy. And then we kind of went like, oh, yeah, we can bring people on board to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so definitely much probably better. coming from the studio side, I probably came in, I was probably a little diva-like, like, well, wait You're a minute. very much. Where's our, <laughs> <laughs> where's our accounting department? Where's marketing? And Rush is like, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Same division of labor at home? Uh, oh, actually, no. We're, real, like, we're really pretty, yeah. 50-50. Yeah, pretty I don't know. He's an amazing dad. He's right. an amazing I'm husband sure and amazing father. Mom. Yeah. Now, yes, well, absolutely. but I'm, I'm very fortunate as a, as a woman who is an exec, um, to have a husband and a partner who was very supportive and empowering and was the first one to champion whatever I wanted to do and complete like, you know, he, w- he was always, it was always we at home for sure. 
And I'm very lucky to have that because yeah, I'm alive. Now I'm blushing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, it. but it's true because a lot of my friends and colleagues didn't have that. Yeah. And also I worked with a lot of men and you realize a lot of the men I worked with oh, across all those years, most of them had wives that did not work or they, they quote worked, worked from home, which is awesome. But they had someone at home kind of handling things. Um, and with both of us working, we had to figure out, you know, who's going to pay the bills, who's going to do the school stuff, who's going to do the pediatrician, yeah. <laughs> who's going to cook dinner. You're, I mean, yeah. you had to are out. an ultimate team. I mean, it's very obvious. Yeah. I had a meeting last week with a woman. Uh, we had lunch, and she told me that at the company she had come from, which I will not name, uh, she had never seen a pregnant woman in all her years there. Hmm. Really? Yeah, oh. not one. Oh, interesting. Wow. You know, and to think that that still exists. That yeah. still exists. Well, you mm. know, I had, um, I was pregnant with, I'm trying to think, with Tommy in 91 at Disney. I was a director level, my first studio job. And I went to my boss, um, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm pregnant. What do I do? And he was like, oh, we've never had anyone pregnant before. At Disney. At Disney, in this division. Now, it was this division. So it wasn't a whole studio, but it was our division, which was the Regis and Kathy Lee division. So we were like a legit division. Um, and he's like, we've never had anyone pregnant before. And I was like, well, what do I do? He's like, you know what? How do you want to handle it? What do you want to do? And I ha it was Bruno Cohen, yeah. amazing boss. And I was like, okay, well, if normal is three months, it'd be great to take four months. And he's like, okay, we'll just see if you can find someone to replace you while you're gone. And, um, but they didn't have anything written or anything when I was pregnant in 91. Is that crazy? Very. Yeah, and very then Janice crazy. Marinelli, um, you know, so it was the two of us yeah. who were like the women who were pregnant. Yeah. But yeah, it is crazy to think in 2019 that right. that would be yeah. the case yeah. now. Yeah. Um, well, you, you mentioned not to build a company on one brick, mm -hmm. right? Correct. That's true. But in this day and age where increasingly the buyers look at every company and say, oh, you're the producers oh, who do X. Exactly. And, you're the, mm -hmm. and yeah. you want to broaden the aperture cast, just yeah. a yeah. teeny tiny bit and, and there's no imagination yeah. and there's no trust. Yeah, that's true. So what you are clearly a company that can make lots of things and you yeah. belong to a special club yeah. to where you've earned that distinction. Yeah. What would your advice be to companies that maybe aren't looked at that way? Mm. That you are know, just more, to, more genre specific. Who or don't want to be or at least are viewed that way. Yeah. It's a great question, advice. I mean, we've, I always kind of explain it that we've, we've been able to stay, we've been able to evolve as the genres have evolved. And we've been able to kind of always be a step ahead and figure out a way to get us into different lanes. And we did that probably either with talent or a great idea or a partnership, a collaboration that helped us get into a lane that maybe we hadn't been in. And then, but once you get into the lane, then you have to be able to execute because if you don't, then they may not ever want to buy that genre from you again. So we ha we've been fortunate, I think, in that we've been very, we've been kind of accidentally deliberate about it or deliberate, more deliberate. Yeah, I we mean, were. practically speaking, you know, if you can produce high quality programming at an affordable price, you'll always work right because cost always comes into no matter what you're, if you're doing a shiny floor show or if you're doing you know uh, edgy documentary um, being able to you know not go over budget and that 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 really wrecks a lot of producers early on because they they you know bite off more than they can chew so having that instinct of being able to produce uh, high quality at affordable price and a lot of times content dictates right so the stories that we fall in love with um, you know, 
we, we do a fairly good job of being able to transfer that vision or that idea to a buyer. And we definitely, for someone starting out, is study, you know, obviously the trends, you know, the, the markets, the, you know, get as much intel as you can get on terms of what networks are buying. Because what they're buying today, and it'll air, what, in six to eight months, so what they're responding to is something or that they, they, they days. yeah, these or never, days. Yeah, or never. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're, 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 what's airing Maybe today was developed, you know, over yeah. a year ago. So, um, but, you know, I, th I think for survival in this marketplace is, is being a broad thinker, you know, it's also not just in terms of the ideas, but in the platforms that exist today. I mean, uh, maybe the analogy we talked earlier about cable exploding and all of a sudden, oh my God, our eyes lit up to see all these new buyers. It's the same, you know, thing we're seeing now in the digital space mm -hmm. and going, oh, we're with those same budgets. Those yeah. same budgets, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, 30,000 episode. We, we got uh, a compliment for being long form programmers for a digital network because they're five minute pieces, right? Yeah. So I thought, oh, I. Yeah. Five-minute pieces, long-form programming. So it's it's adapting to the marketplace as a key. But I think you, I don't think there's any magic answer to that. Because when you th I remember talking to John Murray about this, and he was saying, like, you know, he said our industry is still one of the last industries where you can be entrepreneurial and you can build a business, a company, out of one idea, right? So because the bar, the bar to entry, in a sense, in our industry has traditionally been lower than let's say film, you know, or even or other parts of the industry. So yeah, if you had a great idea about a family with beards or whatever, um, if you had the rights to that or the access to that, that's how you could you could get in that door. Now you might be paired with someone because let's say, you know, you hadn't produced before or um, you haven't delivered a series, but you can get in the door if you have a great idea or access. Um, so now. It's either like, I don't know, it's either maybe get super good at one thing where you become known as like that person. And so if, so if I want to do that kind of a show, I know to think of you. And, and so that's how you get in. Um, but then, or, or be broader. And then if you're broader, then just make sure that you pay attention to detail, I think, and you don't spread yourself too thin. So if, so if, the, so if the question is like, great, I've launched the business off of one genre, how do I broaden? Mm -hmm then I think it's either have intellectual property or an idea that no one else has. So if people love it, they have to do it with you. Right. Be willing to partner. I think we're really good partners. I think you know, we have people early on in our um, company history who said, don't, don't be afraid to partner. Like a lot of people won't partner. If you guys are willing to partner, you, you, that will give you an advantage. That's a, that's a unique selling point. Right, 100% nothing is still nothing. Exactly, yeah, right. so we've always, and Rasha started that before I came back to the company, and then since I've been back, we've always been like, okay, how can one plus one equals three? So sometimes that's what's gotten us into a door that we haven't been in before, um, is with a partner. Like on Wahlburgers. Yeah. Well, there you go, yeah. exactly. Right. All roads yeah. lead to the yeah. burgers. Or, you know, I'm thinking like, <laughs> even like, um, you know, finding a format, like Don't Forget Your Toothbrush was a show that I did as an exec, it was a big British show from a, a Saturday night. Um, it was an ITV, I don't remember what network aired it, but a big shiny floor music show. And years later, those rights became available again. We, as a company, weren't necessarily known as a company that does those types of shows. And so we went and partnered with, at that time, we partnered with Sean Hayes and Hazy Mills um, because they had more of that background. And so we were able to set it up. It didn't get to go forward into series, but we were able to sell that and set it up and develop it. So sometimes it's about how you 
put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. um, but it is hard these yeah. days. Well, and yeah. just do great work. So while we're on the advice train, yeah. I've got to ask you the question I ask all the guests. Sure. Okay. Advice to your 25-year-old self, right? Now, there are some 25-year-olds in your life, right? Or about that age, <laughs> That's right? true. We right? have one. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, go back your 25-year-old okay. Stephanie, your 25-year-old Rasha. Like, what would you tell yourself? Was there anything you'd do differently? I mean, obviously, you have no idea where the market was going to go. Mm -hmm. yeah. You knew who you were going to marry and have a family with. Yeah. Um, look, that is all, it's a great time machine question, right? What, what, woulda, coulda, yeah. shoulda, like that whole thing. I mean, I would say, uh, if there was anything at the time, um, be, be more fearless. You know, at the time we were so, uh, I don't know, protective or just, you know, trying to do the right things at the time and maybe the chances, maybe take more chances as well. Believe in yourself. Uh, and, and, you know, certainly being entrepreneurial for so long, you know, we did take chances, but there was some times there where we let some things get away that I wish, you know, uh, why don't I just say one more thing? Or why don't I just, you know, reach out to that person and make that uh, delivery? Because sometimes we stop ourselves from that. So, you know, if I would talk to myself at 25, I would say, um, you know, be, be more fearless, you know, just take that extra chance because it'll pay off, believe in yourself. Don't be afraid to get on the bar, right? <laughs> exactly. Because part of me was that 25-year-old going like, don't do it, don't do it, you're gonna embarrass yourself, you know, yeah. th this right. is not gonna end yeah. well. And maybe the more mature person yeah. said, you know what, what could go wrong, right? <laughs> and why not take a chance? And that was the fearlessness that... Yeah, I think being fearless is really important. Um, we always tell our boys, you can't win if you don't play. You know that lottery slogan? It's like you're not going to get something unless you ask sometimes. So you you got to put yourself out there. Be fearless about talking to people. Like I'll introduce myself to anybody now. And there was a time like when I would have been mortified to do that. I mean, you know, I was very shy. And now I'm like if I see somebody interesting, like I am not afraid to walk up to them and say, I have to introduce myself to you. This is who I am. Will you tell me your story? So I think that fearlessness is really important. And I think my 25-year-old self, um, wow, save more. <laughs> I think you never save enough when you're 25 because you never think you have the money to save. Um, that's important. Um, but I don't know. I really, I don't, I don't have any regrets, I think. Um, but yeah, being fearless and everything leads to something and just take that risk and jump on the plane or make the phone call or, um, you know, you, you I, 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 the other thing is I, I believe in leave it all in the field, that give it your all so that when you're done, you don't ever wonder what if. So I'm a big believer in like, I wanna make sure I try every way at it because I don't ever wanna be at the end of whatever the that road is or that decision or whatever and then go, well, God, what if I had only called? Or what if I had sent such and such? I never want to go mm, what right. if. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm always a big believer and I always push to like do more, which sometimes does drive people crazy. Yeah, but I love it. Yeah. Well, keep taking chances, keep doing everything you're doing because the Thank company you, is amazing. People oh. love working with you. Appreciate it. Last question. Oh. Do you carpool? <laughs> <laughs> well, admittedly, we don't we drive separately because our schedules are i think i think one sometimes of them we do we, sometimes we do we are <laughs> we, planning 
a lot of how we get along, I guess this is a, a, a bigger thing, but you know, we do divide and conquer. I mean, we do have different, let's say, you know, responsibilities in the company, different interests, let's say even different shows that we manage, but it gets us on different times as well. Um, yeah. Steph's usually up till, you know, the wee hours with emails and, and, and doing things, and I'm possibly doing a different, my, my body clock's a little different when it comes to managing shows, but we don't carpool. We, we do, so, okay, so I'm gonna say we do sometimes, um, but yeah, hardly ever. Yeah. I used to drop you off at work though. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, we back had one in the day, car. Yeah. And I, when I worked at Disney and Group W, I would swing by, drop Rosh off at Violin and Ventura, and then keep going. Yeah. How weird was that? Never again. So like yeah. That. <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, we don't carpool. Yeah. Well, you can't be beat this shared history. It's really incredible. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I just love spending this time with you. Oh, thank you, Noah. Thank, thank you, Noah. So, yeah, so we feel the same way. So there you have it the true story of Wahlburgers. Thanks to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thank you to our guests, Rasha and Stephanie Drashkovich, and to my wonderful family for all of their help and support. Also, please do subscribe to Exec Producer wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. And since collaboration is at the heart of this project, I'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Please reach out with what you liked, what you didn't like, and any ideas for future episodes. So thank you again for listening, and please come back next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind. <laughs>